Father in heaven, we're so very thankful to be together in your house and to be able to open your word and study and to consider the truths that you have for us that we might apply in order that we might be more like Jesus. So God, we ask now that by your Holy Spirit you'd speak to us and we'd be moved to obedience and courageous faith. We ask these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. We've got a number of scriptures this morning, so I'll have you turning back and forth across your Bible, and I want you to start with me in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. In the midst of his missionary journey, Paul goes to the great Greek city of Athens, this cosmopolitan city of thinking and theater and ideas. And he says there, while Paul, in verse 16, this is Acts seventeen sixteen. while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. This was a city with thousands of gods, and yet somehow Paul's gods, they thought, were foreign. Verse 19, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting at the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. We live in a world in which if you speak about Jesus, if you share about the gospel, And if you talk about even biblical morality, some people will treat you as if you are speaking strange ideas. Would that it would be that folks would receive those ideas, however, as the people of Athens. That they would say, these are strange ideas, but we want to know more about them. So we have this consideration that I'd like to challenge us with on this last day of 2017 as we look to a new year, and that is sharing Jesus. On your outline, it says, we know we should share the good news of Jesus with others, but why don't we? If you're like me and you're honest, you would have to say you don't share the good news of Jesus as often as it comes to your mind. Or you might even say, unfortunately, Pastor, it doesn't come to my mind too often. I'm busy thinking about my things, and I'm busy thinking about what my spouse wants, or my boss wants, or what I need to do for my kids, or what I want. And I forget the saving grace of Jesus, and how it's transformed me, and that I might share that with others. So I've got five answers to our questions, and the first one for you is that we don't have urgency. We don't share the good news of Jesus because we don't have a sense of urgency. Uh, We live our life in such a way that everything seems fine. 
that uh, it's going to be okay. And yes, we get concerned that it's super cold and is my car going to start tomorrow? Or, you know, I just spent all this money on Christmas and am I going to have enough to pay all my bills? We have that sort of sense of urgency, but we may not have the sense of urgency we need. When I lived in South Africa and I worked in squatter camps, people that lived in 10 shacks that were 9 foot by 9 foot with a dirt floor and, you know, no running water and no electricity. And they cooked over coal and they heated their little shacks uh, with coal. And it was a terrible existence. I saw that these folks lived, as I said, thinking no further than this far ahead of them. That they couldn't even imagine to think beyond their immediate needs. Their poverty was so great and their need was so great that they, they had this urgency about what I need right now and what I want right now. And they couldn't even think to save or to plan or to dream or to imagine. And it was utterly heartbreaking. Friends, when we turn that idea of urgency around and we consider what it says in Jude, and if you're in your Bible, go all the way to the back to Revelation, and then right in the beginning of Revelation, probably one page long, is the little epistle of Jude. So the very end of your Bible and Jude. And Jude, there it says in verses 22 and 23, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Sin corrupts. And folks are so corrupted by sin that they can't seem to see spiritually past the nose on the end of their face. And it is our duty as believers in Jesus to take the gospel light and to shine it into their life and to try to break through that sinfulness by the power of the Holy Spirit that they might see that there is a life beyond the life they know and a life that challenges them to be different because God loves them and Jesus died for them and they can and should be different. So my question for us is how can I be motivated If I don't have a sense of urgency, what can motivate me to this sense of urgency? Well, in part, hopefully the fact that you're here and your pastor who loves you and is your friend and brother in Christ preaching to you about something like this kind of helps light a fire for you like it does for me. This week as I was studying, I was going, man, there's this neighbor I know, this friend I know, there's this person I know that I've talked about the gospel with them a little bit, but I need to talk to them again. And I need to invite them to church. And I need to introduce them to other Christian friends so that somebody other than me can speak the truth in their life. And maybe somebody else can say it in a way that will touch them. Or maybe the repeated contact with the gospel. And so what I would tell us to do is stop ignoring that twinge of guilt from not saying anything. Stop thinking it's someone else's job. Well, you know, we've got Brother Aaron. He can tell everybody about Jesus. No. I don't know all your friends. You do. I'm not a family member with all your family members. You are. And we need to start praying. To start praying. To start reading the Gospels. When's the last time not only did you read the Bible through, but just even a section of the Bible? Four books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four Gospels. The story of the good news of Jesus. They're all told by different writers and they're all told in different ways. But when's the last time you've done that? Maybe you need to start with that and say, 
I'm going to read the Gospels. Maybe not even all of them. Just say, I'm going to start with Mark because it's short. It's just 16 chapters and it's kind of punchy and concise. Or maybe if you're a thinking type, you say, I'm going to start with John because John's, you know, written later and it has some uh, deeper thoughts and the way that it it was edited to, uh, you know, point people that are thinking people to Jesus. One way or the other, maybe that's where you need to start in addition to prayer. Research says that believers in Jesus aren't sharing the gospel because they have lost their sense of awe and appreciation for the gospel. That we forgot how lost and sinful we are, therefore we don't see the lostness and sinfulness of our friends because we're not looking at life in light of God's word. We're looking at life in light of what everybody else in our life says. In light of what the TV says, in light of what YouTube says, the movies we watch say. And we've got this deprecated sense of morality when we need to turn to Scripture and have Scripture change our view of things. You remember in Acts chapter 4, and I'm going to turn over there so I can narrate the story, and you might want to as well, just write down Acts chapter 4. Peter and John get called before the Sanhedrin. You guys are stirring up all kinds of trouble and preaching about this Jesus. We don't like this Jesus. You be quiet. Basically what they're told. Peter says to them, salvation, this is Acts 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Peter is bold and says it's only by Jesus. And I love verse 13. When they saw, they, the Sanhedrin, the very Sanhedrin that sent Jesus to death, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you want to be courageous, you want to live a life that astonishes others, do like Peter and John. Spend time with Jesus. How do you and I spend time with Jesus? In the Bible. Where's the place where we're going to read the most about him? In the Gospels. God calls us to share the Gospel with others. We need to have a sense of urgency, number one. Number two, we may not share the Gospel because we're ashamed of the Gospel. We're ashamed of the Gospel. If you're in Acts, turn a few pages over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writing there in verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what? Power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He says he's not ashamed. Billy Graham reminded us of this years ago. He says, you don't have to pound on people. Their conscience is already working on them. You don't have to be a Bible bully. And beat people over the head with your biblical morality. That's not the way to get after them. You live a life that is different because you choose different. You speak different. You seek God by the Holy Spirit to give you an attitude that is different so that people see a difference in you. But then you speak kindly the gospel that transforms lives. Not in a superior, judgmental, boo-boo, I'm better than you way. But in a loving, considerate way. You need to remember the biblical example of the four fields of the rocky soil and the fertile soil and the one that got choked up. 
that not everybody's going to respond the same way and not everybody in the same timing. But remember that the Bible says that God's not slow in keeping his promises. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And therefore, we should continue to sow the seeds of the gospel because we know that God loves people and he wants to change them. And it's not ultimately what I say or do, even though I have a part, but it's what the Holy Spirit says and how folks respond to him. So we pray, we spend time in the Bible ourselves, and we speak the words of the gospel faithfully. Your second application question says, so what can change my heart? If I'm ashamed of the gospel, what can change my heart? What can make a difference for me? Pastor Danny Aiken said, if your theology doesn't make you passionate to reach the lost, you need to repent and get a new one. For most of us, it's not a matter of theology, however. It's just a matter of repentance, that we need a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction, that if we are going one way and we're going a worldly way and going a selfish way and we're not sharing the gospel, we need to repent and say, God, I want to change and I want to do different. I want to be different. I want to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus that can change lives with the people in my life who I love. And God, would you be so gracious as to change them? What does it take for you to change your mind, your actions, your habits? Do you have to be con- become convinced or moved emotionally or overwhelmed by some action or circumstance? Whatever it is, would you pray that God would do that within you and within me that we might be different? The third major point on your outline is that we can't explain the gospel. Uh, That might be true. It may be that we don't share the gospel because we're confused. I mean, even the fact that the pastor's up here and he keeps using the word gospel, and I'm like, well, what does the word gospel mean? The gospel means good news. It's a fancy word for good news, and it's the good news, specifically the story of Jesus. But look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to a church, and he's defended all sorts of things and outlined uh, doctrines and behaviors for them. And then as he's winding down this book, he talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, For I re- what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, i.e. that it was prophesied, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel in a nutshell, that Christ died for our sins. That's it. Yes, there's a lot more you can know. Yes, it becomes a lot more complicated when we apply uh, biblical guidelines to our modern day living. But that is the gospel in a nutshell. And so when we meet people there, we meet them somewhere along a continuum. That on the far end, that they... Uh, are rejecting God and don't believe there's a God, and maybe they take one step this way, and that they're aware of the fact that there is a God who is creator and is in charge, and they're not. Then maybe they take one more step that they're aware of and would accept the fact that not only is there a God, but it is the God of the Bible who's revealed himself in Christ Jesus, God in flesh to us, and by his word, the Bible. Then maybe they take one more step towards trusting Christ as their Savior. And they're aware of the gospel implications that because Jesus died for us, that I'm a sinner. 
and I must be saved. That's really the next step, that they're aware of the personal implications. That they say that it's not just everybody else who's bad and sinful and going to hell, but I'm bad, I'm sinful, and I'll go to hell as well. And then there's that amazing point of conversion. When because they've come to understand that there is a God, that there is Jesus, there's gospel implications, there's personal implications, they choose to trust Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, and they are converted, redeemed, saved. And then they're Christ followers, and they grow in faith and maturity from that point forward. There's a lot to know when it comes to sharing our faith, the gospel. But do not let that keep you from sharing your faith. My challenge to you would be this. That when you share the gospel and somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, I guarantee you when you go find the answer, you'll never forget it again, will you? It takes your humility to say, I'm sorry, I don't know. You know, the Bible's a big book. There's a whole lot of stuff in there. But I'll get the answer for you and I'll come back. But here's the great part about that sort of conversation. It guarantees you a second conversation. I think that God allows us to get into situations where we don't know the answer to something for two reasons. Number one, so we're reminded that we need to depend on Him. Number two, so He can get us in the door for a second conversation. Amen? Because then we have to say, hey man... Uh, can you give me a week? Let's get back together this same time, this same place next week. And I bet you I can find the answer. In the meantime, will you keep reading your Bible and praying and I'll do the same. So for you, when you think about this statement that you can't explain the gospel, if this is true for you, I would ask you this question. What do I need to learn? In order to share the gospel, what do you need to learn? And I've given some simple examples in the past. I'll give them again. Uh, the idea of SALT. Think about SALT. S-A-L-T. It's an acronym. S is start a conversation. If you want to share the gospel with somebody, well, you've got to start by starting a conversation about however you want to start a, question, a conversation, right? Hey, how about the weather today? It's cold. How about them Huskers? Whatever you want to do. A is ask questions. Just ask I mean, uh, you can make statements all day long, but uh, when you're telling, you're not selling. Something like that, right, Mr. Carl? You've got to ask questions. And you find out from the person what their interest is, what their curiosity is, where their questions lie. Then the L, can you figure if I just told you to ask questions, the L is listen. Listen to what the other person says, not so much thinking about your response, but what they say. And then the T, the last one, is tell the story. Tell your story, your testimony, how God's changed your life. Tell the story, how Jesus came in the Bible and what that means. After you've had a conversation, you've asked questions, you've listened, you tell the story. Nowadays, you can have an app on your phone. There are gospel apps to help you share the gospel, uh, evangelism apps. And, and, and I have a couple of them on my phone. I didn't bring it up here to show you. But you can just go to the App Store or Google Play or whatever and type in evangelism. Type in share the gospel. And these apps will come up and you can very quickly have one. And they walk people through and they give scripture verses and tell you what to do. So you don't have to memorize anything. You just have to say, hey, man, let's walk through this. Click, click, click. There you go. But maybe it would be helpful if you memorized a gospel presentation or some verses. 
You want to start with an easy one. One verse evangelism based on Romans 6.23. Gospel tracts, we have them by our doorways. You can get gospel tracts and carry them with you just in case you need them. There's all sorts of ways, but let me give you six rules, six Ps. Be patient. Don't try to rush people. It may be a one, uh, one-time encounter and you have a sense of urgency about you. But number two, be polite. Be polite. Be kind and courteous to people. Don't try to step on toes or argue with them, but be nice about it. Number three, maybe this needs to be the first one, is be prayerful. That as you're in a conversation with anybody, be prayerful. You know, you can think in 400 to 800 words a minute, but you only speak in about 100. So your mind is going a lot faster than your mouth can go or that you can listen. So pray while you're talking. Be plain. Friends, if you've been around here for a while, you know some pretty good Christianese. You can confuse people. Leave the Christianese at the door. Talk in plain language. And if you use a Bible term because you have to, then explain the Bible term in plain language. Here's a big word for you. Number five is be philanthropic. What do I mean by that? Philanthropy is giving. In other words, be gracious with the way that you love the person and support them and do whatever you can to meet their needs physically or otherwise in order that you earn a hearing for the gospel in the 6P is be in pursuit. In other words, don't give up. If you have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, keep that relationship going. I have a friend right now um, who I invited to church on Christmas Eve, and I have to say, although it was wonderful to see so many of you here Christmas Eve, I was a little disappointed he didn't come. I thought he was going to come to our church for the first time. His name is Matt, and he's this big old burly dude, so if he ever walks in the door, you can say, hey man, Pastor Aaron, church talked about you in a sermon. Maybe you shouldn't do that. But Matt, this big old burly dude, right? He looks like Chewbacca. I don't know if he can make that noise yet or not, Chris. I haven't asked him. But that's what you think about when you look at Matt. But he's gentle and he's kind, but he's also so lost. As I've shared the gospel with him, he ascends to the fact that it's true. But he says, you know, I've just never been religious, man. That's not for me. And I've challenged him. Dude, Jesus loves you, and it's not about you being religious. It's about you having a relationship with a God of the whole world that loves you. Well, man, I don't know. i got to think about that. You know, Aaron, you're real nice, and thanks for telling me about that. I'm always in pursuit. I finally got his cell phone number, so now I can text him. Hey, dude, how's it going? How can I pray for you? So we'll see. He's got a new job now. i got to see where he's landed, where I can continue to meet with him. But I'm in pursuit of Matt. Who are you in pursuit of? The fourth point on your outline. Another reason that we may not be sharing the gospel is that we've forgotten to pray. Does your prayer time consist of mealtime and bedtime? You know that's good, but you can pray anytime. If you go to Colossians So, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. It tells us to devote ourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, Paul says, he and his missionary band. That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that... I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul's asking them to pray for him. 
But that's a reminder that you can pray for other brothers and sisters. You can pray for me and you can pray for Matt. You can pray for family members and friends that you know are sharing the gospel. And pray for yourself. Now, this assumes that you know that they're lost. This assumes that you have had a gospel conversation, which you've shared the gospel and gotten to the fact that they trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. Ask a simple question. You know, hey, I don't want to freak you out or anything, but if you were to die today, don't want that to happen, but if you were to die today and go to heaven and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? Nine out of ten people you ask are going to give a works answer. Well, I'm a good person. I do this. I do this. Or I'm not as bad as that guy. They don't know Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, even folks that have been in church for months or years. So you have to have that gospel conversation. And you have to ask God to guide you in ongoing conversations with them. And keep praying for them until the next conversation. And ask God to open doors not only for conversations with you, but other believers in Jesus. had this friend in college named Gene. And what Gene didn't know was that there were six of us that met every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. for prayer. Yes, college guys awake at 6 a.m. for prayer. It's crazy, right? We were crazy like that. And we prayed for other guys in our dorm. We had this small dorm, just 96 rooms. You knew every guy in the dorm. And we prayed for them by name, but we also tag-teamed them. They didn't know this until they got saved and we invited them to the prayer meeting. And they'd be like, hey, were you guys praying for me? Yeah, man, we've been praying for you for a year and a half. But throughout the day, we would get the opportunity to interact with these guys. See him in the dorm. It's a small dorm. You meet the guy. Talk to him. Ask him about what's going on in his life. Pray for him. Encourage him. And so it was with great rejoicing that sooner, uh, finally one day, after this heartbreaking chain of family and personal events, that Gene humbled himself and trusted Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And I'll never forget, one of my brothers came to the room it was Amos Albright. Amos came with tears, and he's not an emotional guy. He came with tears running down his face. Guys, guys, Gene asked Jesus to save him. And we're like, great, where's Gene? We want to hug him. You know, we love you, Amos, but where's Gene? We all ran down the hall to Gene's room, and Gene is still crying, you know, because he had humbled himself and asked Christ to save him for his sin. And Amos is there, and there's all of these guys, most of them bigger and tougher than me, right? Crying in the middle of a dorm room. Sure, if somebody walked in, they'd have thought, what are these yahoos smoking in here? It was Jesus, and it was joy. Friends, have you prayed for folks that you know that are lost? Have you asked God to open doors? Have you been watchful to have conversations? Your question asks, how should I be praying? Remember what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Maybe that should be our prayer. God, would you make the gospel powerful in me? That no matter my personality, no matter my intelligence, no matter my position in life, that I will have power in the gospel. And even though it seems foolish to people that I know, that they will see that there's something in me that is supernatural that challenges them to consider the truth of the gospel. Because we've prayed about it and asked God that it would be powerful in us. The fifth point on this is that we are 
And this one comes from research as well. This is that we aren't inviting people. The number one reason a lost person comes to church is what? Somebody tell me. They're invited. They're invited. Did you know that across the United States right now, on average, every survey with everything, 70% of people who are unchurched say that if they were invited by a friend or family member, they would attend church. We need to invite people to church, friends. Invite them. Just that simple. Part of me wants to say, well, why don't we invite people to church? Are we embarrassed about our church? If the pastor preaches too long, please take out a yellow Southview communication card right now and write on it, Pastor Aaron, if you preach 20 minutes or less, I would be willing to invite people to church. I'm serious. If you think our music is too rock and rolling and that's why you don't invite people to church, take out a yellow card, write on it. The music rocks too much. If we had hymns, I would invite people to church. Tell me why you don't invite people to church. Seriously, we need some feedback like this. I've even gone so far as saying we need to put out a church-wide survey uh, about why we don't invite people to church. I haven't done it yet, but I'm just asking you now. Tell us. Is it just that you're embarrassed or you're ashamed or you think all your friends are already going or you just haven't had the conversation? Is it something about us or something about you? What is it that you're not inviting people to church? 1 Peter 3.15 is our scripture reference for that one. So uh, that one's towards the back of your Bible as well. So Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd Peter, 1st Peter 3.15. This is one we ought to know. It's the reason we come to church, reason we memorize Scripture, reason we study Scripture right here. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Invite people. When you're the fifth question, ask you, what is my excuse? So, um, Miss D. Sawyer gave me a Christmas present today. And if any of you have seen these, this is a thinking putty. Gotta open it. It's really kind of hard to open, D. Did you know that? And so you've got to get this glob of stuff off of here, and it's kind of stuck on the lid. And not only is this just any old thinking putty, but this is scented. It smells like a rose, or it smells like a grandma's perfume. <laughs> Any of you grandmas in the place wear flowery-smelling perfume? Because, yeah, that's what it smells like. Our church in Texas, we had a lady in the nursery who was notorious for wearing a lot of perfume and you'd get your child back and your child would smell like that lady. It was really kind of pleasing, you know. Yeah, my kid has been loved on by I won't say her name. (laughs) My kids know. But this isn't just any thinking putty. The brand name, and I dropped it, is Crazy Aaron's Thinking Putty. Fitting, crazy Aaron's thinking putty. And the name of this scent is Love is in the Air. Dee went so far as to write the word Jesus in there. Jesus, love is in the air. Can't say that Jesus' love smells like an old lady's perfume. But I can say that Jesus does love people. And he wants us. To tell others about him. 
And if I'm too ashamed or too cowardly or too whatever, that I need to get over it. Christine Kane says, if you're not a fisher or becoming a fisher of men, I'm not sure who you're following, but I tell you it's not Jesus. Who are we following, friends? Hopefully, you have subscribed to our church newsletter. If you haven't already, here's your commercial. Go to the website newsletter and subscribe. One and done. Set it and forget it. I know not everybody has because we know how many people have subscribed and we even know how many people read it or at least opened it. Um, We don't know if it was you or not, but uh, we know. So for your sake, I want to recount a few things we did as a church this year because not all of you read the newsletter. Did you know that in 2017 here, we agreed to be a sending church? Look out there on that bulletin board with the six different churches. Five of them a new church starts and one of them a church replant. One of whom, with Pastor Angel, is uh, we are the primary sending church of. That's an amazing thing for our church to say, yes, we're going to partner and do that. And in 2017, at our Easter pageant, this day of resurrection, we saw 1,742 people in attendance. We did that. God did it, but we were a part of it. Ten people trusting Christ as their Savior. Ten more saying they were seeking truth about Christ. Our Vacation Bible School saw 81 different children with 65 different volunteers in that week of Vacation Bible School. In July, we welcomed the Viveros family, and by your grace and generosity, uh, church family members have provided for all their needs since by the immigration rules, we're not allowed to pay them a salary yet, and that you have again and again and again, month in, month out, provided for them. In our Awana ministry, just for the three-year-olds through sixth grade, I don't know about Pastor David's statistics downstairs, but on average this fall, we've had 66 children and 31 volunteers. That's you. Our second annual trunk or treat, the second year we did it, we had 896 attendees, 562 of them children, and have had a number of folks that have had gospel conversations and seeking information about Southview. need to pray that we can continue to pursue those folks. This year we saw 14 different parents or sets of parents dedicate their children to godly parenting and raising them according to God's word and in the church. Our new kids choir was established, averaging 15 kids. Our giving to grow this year, you helped pay for a new parking lot. And other things are happening around the building, such as safety improvements, and more will be coming in 2018 with our new church council saying, okay, we need to make improvements around here, and what priority order are we going to put them in? We've elected our first ever church council, I just mentioned. Carl Brown, Kay Fiken, Sandy Hansen, Linda Nettleton, Pamela Schmidt, and Larry Zimmerman to join with me in leading in the administration of our church family. And we gather for worship week in, week out as a family, as a body of believers. We're Southview. We love Jesus and we share the gospel with others. Our scripture memory verse for the month says this. It's Luke 2.14. And I'll ask you to read it with me one last time. Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. 
Luke 2.14. Let's pray. God, our Father, it's our prayer that what we do as a church family, what we do as individuals, would bring you glory. The words we say, the prayers we offer, the offerings we give, the actions we take would bring you glory. So God, we thank you for each and every soul here today. It's our prayer that if there's anybody here that has not ever trusted Christ as their Savior, but has understood their own sinfulness today and the personal implications of the gospel, that they would make that decision known today. God, it's our prayer here that if there's anyone that's not yet a church family member that wants to join our church, that they'd make that decision today. God, it's our prayer that if you're calling us to some obedience or surrender, that we would do that today, whatever it is. So, Father, as we stand to sing, and we thank you that you've moved among us, would we see evidence of that now? In Jesus' name, amen.